Why do we do musical worship, or why is song worship a part of our Sunday services? Uh, and everything within me, for those who don't know, I'm one of, one of the worship pastors here, and everything within me wants to say that all that we do is worship. It's kind of one of my little catchphrases, that, that it's all worship, the way that we live, uh, act, think, speak, but that's a sermon for another time. Um, but today we're going to think about why do we as a corporate gathering, why do we as a body of believers sing? Uh, and, you know, as I said, I'm one of the worship pastors here, so this is kind of my area, so there's no pressure, right? Nervous laughter from the front, not just me. Right, turn with me in your Bibles. Turn with me to Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. And when you're there, maybe keep a finger in it and flip over to Colossians 3.16. We've got two passages this morning. Don't worry, they're short. Uh, And they're going to come up on the screen behind. Ephesians 5, it says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians 3, 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Let's pray. Father, would you come now and fill this space with your presence? Would you be speaking to us? Would you be stirring us? Would you be calling us closer to you this morning? And Father, would the words that I preach be true to your word? Would they go into hearts and not overheads this morning? Jesus, we love you and we worship you. And everybody said, amen. Well, as I said, this morning we are going to look at musical worship and why do we do that? And as I've said, you know, we're thinking of this corporately. We're not thinking sort of individually and sort of how we do this outside, but just today for Sundays. And well, really, it's the answer, is it? What else would we do before and after the talk? You know, what else would we do in those slots in the service? Um, You know, it's kind of like this Christian karaoke, but next level. The fact that we've got a live band, and all that's missing from the screen is the little ball that bobbles across each word. You know, churches have done it for thousands and thousands of years, so I guess that we should too. Well, musical worship, it can be something that divides opinion, which was certainly the case in the church that I grew up in. Um, You know, particularly between the older and the younger generation. I'm sure some of us have heard... Some of the arguments, you know, should we have the organ, should it be the band, should it be faster, should it be quieter, and all these kinds of things. But as I did this talk, as I was preparing, I came across a notice that someone who has obviously been a part of all of these discussions, um, they came up with this notice. It's going to come up on the screen, and this is the answer to the perfect worship service. Are you ready? After listening carefully over the past several years, we believe that we have finally determined what those who attend our church really want in music. Following are items that come up most frequently whenever the topic is discussed. Are you ready? 
More fast songs in the opening praise and more slow songs in the opening praise time. More of those wonderful, lovely old hymns and less of those stupid dead old hymns. A longer and shorter time of praise at the beginning of the service and a shorter and longer time at the end. Songs that flow quickly into each other and long periods of reflection in between each song. More repetition so that songs can be learned and meditated upon while singing, but less repetition because it gets boring singing the same thing over and over. More of those lovely arrangements with extra instruments and less of those showy arrangements with all those instruments. To sing good old songs more often, to stop singing the same old songs. Songs to be sung in higher and lower keys. The bands are playing in the middle of the platform, but also behind uh, the plants where they can't be seen and won't be a distraction. Louder, softer, faster, slower, more often and not at all. Can I get an amen? Who doesn't want to be a part of that church? And, you know, it's all a bit tongue-in-cheek, but actually this is something that it's not new. This hasn't been discovered in the last few years. This has been going on for generations. Uh, a, a chap called Peter Radford uh, noted this down in his work, Revitalizing Your Worship Service. And he, he looked back at worship through the years, and he wrote this. He said, a new wave of music had hit the popular scene. A young composer had gone on a streak of writing song after song for two years. Though many adored his new music, plenty of people did not. They took issue with one of his most popular songs, calling it man-centered and focused on the human experience. The year was 1707. The composer was Isaac Watts, and the song was When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, arguably one of the greatest hymns ever written, and it still divided opinion. And I think before we go any further, it's, it's right to note that worship is far bigger than our personal preference. Sure, we have our likes and our dislikes in life, but when it comes to sung worship, surely there should only be one preference, and that, that it's about God. Amen? I want to note that contemporary worship and traditional, old and new, that conversation about which is right has been going on, is going on, and will continue to go on. But that is not the point of our worship. God is the point of our worship. Whether we are singing, how great thou art, who you say I am, or my lighthouse, the packaging and the format may look different, but the heart towards it shouldn't be. You know, worship, it's not about us. It's about God. And, and why do we do that on a Sunday? Why do we sing? Because it's about him. It's for him. Our engagement in worship doesn't matter. It's not about our preference, but it's about our practice. It's about obedience to God's word over our own preferences. Both of our passages, they tell us to sing to God with gratitude and thanksgiving from our hearts. You know, it doesn't say to sing begrudgingly or, or half-heartedly because it's not in our preferred style. It says with thanksgiving, wholehearted worship. Sing to the Lord, church, whether it's in our preferred style or not. Why? Because the object of our worship is far greater than our personal preference. For some of us, I think we need to look at our hearts this morning and say, am I putting my personal preference before God's word? Am I putting my desire before God's desire? Some of us, we just can't stand song worship altogether. You're like, I'm sick of all the songs. I'm sick of you in your knee-hole jeans telling me to sing loud and to raise my hands. I just hurry up and get to the meat of the sermon. And if that's you, I'm sorry that the talk is on musical worship this morning. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't have to be a singer or sing as beautifully as Tim Hughes, Matt Redman, or Tim Jones, but it's your voice that God wants. It's your song. 
that he wants to hear. So let's put our preferences aside this morning and let our practice be greater than our performance. Amen? Now let's dive back into Scripture. And we sing because God and Scripture tell us to. We sing so that we obey the word of God. Both of our passages have a very clear command at the end. I I wondered if you spotted it. It says, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord and sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. This, This isn't some sort of revelatory command. This is something that God has commanded of his people since the beginning of time. All throughout scripture, we see God's people are a singing people. Psalm 47 reads, Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is king of all the earth, sing to him a psalm of praise. Did you catch it? Did you catch it in there five times? Sing to God, sing to God. Uh, There are other examples I could have used. 1 Chronicles 16, 23 to 24, Jeremiah 20, 13, Hebrews 12, 28 to, King, uh, 28 to 29, 2 Kings 17, 38 to 39. And those are just a handful. There's a whole book of songs in the Bible. Singing is what God commands of us. Sing to him. In Deuteronomy 31, God commands Moses to, to write down a song and to teach it to the Israelites. Uh, so that when they, he does that just before they enter the promised land, so that when they enter in and they go on to disobey God, they would be able to sing out that song and remember who their God is and what it is that he has done for them. You see, if, if, if Moses maybe hadn't written that down, he may not have been able to remember it. If the people may not have been able to remember it in the same way, if it was just spoken, if it was sung, that's going to stick in. Because singing and music have, have an amazing ability to help us remember. A really trivial example is if, if you're wanting to remember what comes before the letter G in the alphabet, you, you sing it, don't we? You know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, we sing it. It's easy. Uh, you know, and think about advertising jingles. If I was to sing to you, holidays are coming, holidays are coming, holidays with... Cola. It's the Coke advert at Christmas. Obviously, they need to work on their branding. But, you know, we can, you know, when someone sings it much nicer than I do, you picture the trucks and you know Christmas is here. Or if I sing, washing machines live longer with Calgon. Amazing. My goodness, who'd have thought a washing machine company had better advertising than Coke? Um, but again, when we need, to, we need to clean our washing machine, we need to sing the song, remember it's Calgon. But God, he's not commanding us to sing to him as a cheap advertising trick. He's commanding us to sing to him because there is something so much more valuable to remember. That's his word. He wants us to remember his word and to obey his word. That's why it's powerful at the end of our service and we sing in response to the word that's been given. It helps the word, as it states in Colossians, to dwell in us richly. It shapes us, it forms us, it gives us a greater understanding. It turns what we've learnt into our practice. See, musical worship helps to connect the head and the heart. It takes the doctrine and turns it into devotion. When we hear and read the word, that's the, that's the head bit. And then when we sing it out, when we obey the word, that's the heart the, the doctrine and the teaching is being fueled into our devotion, into our songs of praise. God is dwelling in us richly. 
And if we are just hearers of the word and not doers, is the word dwelling richly in us at all? Is it shaping us? Is it forming us? We sing to obey God's word as he commands us to. But you'll also notice that both passages, they specify who we're to sing to, and that's to God. And, you know, if we're not worshipping God, if God isn't at the center of our worship, then who is? It's like if you take the Christ out of Christian, you're just left with Ian, and who's he? Okay? But I want to pose a counter question. How could we not worship God? How could we not worship Jesus? God who created the world and everything in it, who if we didn't sing, the very rocks beneath our feet would cry out in praise instead of us. A God who splits the seas, who topples nations, delivers nations, who breathes upon dry bones and sees them rise. How could we not worship our God? We worship someone, church, who in his majesty of heaven came down to earth to be a man. And a man who walked this earth, who healed the sick, who cast out demons, who delivered people. A man who took the marginalized society and brought them in. A man who showed us how to live, how to act, but more importantly, how to love. A man who knew no sin, who became sin, died on the cross that we may walk free Not just a man, but a God-man. This man is Jesus, a man who is the object of our worship. He is the only one deserving of praise. Why do we do what we do on a Sunday? Because he is worthy. Amen? Think of our worship as having, uh, having a vertical perspective. Okay, We're singing songs to God about God. Uh, and the, the songs that we use here on Sundays, they're, they're full of words that say you or your, or they're aspects of God and what he's done for us and all of his deeds. Take the song Great Things as an example. The chorus goes like this. O hero of heaven, you conquer the grave. You free every captive. You break every chain. O God, you have done great things. We dance in your freedom, awaken to life. O Jesus, our Savior, your name lifted high. O God, you have done great things. You see, it's all praise about who God is and what he's done. It's this vertical language that we're using to Jesus, to God, about God. But there's also this other side of the vertical language as well, which is sort of songs with I and me, and they can be sort of devotion and encounter-based songs. And that's our, our perspective to God. It's, our, it's about our relationship to him just as you might have between a parent and a child. And aptly so, the next example is good, good father. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, who you are, who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You see, both aspects of the vertical language are there. We're saying, God, this is who you are, but this is also who I am in relation to you. It's a song of devotion. It puts us in our place with God as we sing to him. And, and the comforting thing is that God doesn't just command us to sing, but he actually equips us to sing as well. He equips us. He gives us what we need to sing. Our Ephesians passage says we are to be filled with the Spirit, and it's from that place that we are equipped to worship him. And, you know, we, we kind of need the Spirit to sing spiritual songs. Amen? If you've been around for a while, you've probably noticed that there are moments where the worship leader is singing something that doesn't quite match what's on the screen. Uh, And that's because in that moment, the spirit is stirring within the worship leader and is birthing out a new spiritual song. 
And you know, it's not that the words that we're singing, the, the words from Hillsong and Bethel, it's not that they're you know, rubbish, but it's just there's something beautiful about what God is doing and is stirring that moment, that spiritual song. Uh, you know, and I can appreciate that it's weird when we stand at the front and we're like, come on church, sing out your song. Sing out your song. It sounds so beautiful, but actually it's weird. If you think about the first time I did it, it was hard. It's difficult to put my own words into practice. But, you know, hopefully this will help. For example, if if I wanted to tell my wife, Jen, how much I loved her, I could wait until her birthday or Christmas anniversary or Valentine's Day, and I could buy her a card. Uh, You know, I could go to the store, and I could buy one that says, I love you, like a bear on it. And then in the inside, I could write... To, to Jen Bear, which is what I call her. And then it could have in the middle the hallmark message that's the kind of, you know, I love you, in love, something like that. And then I could write Ben. And then, you know, if I'm not cold-hearted, I'd put a kiss at the bottom, you know. But, you know, I could give that to Jen, and she would get the message, you know. Twice it says I love you, and then I've put personalized it and a kiss. You know, she would get the message that I love her. And that's, a, that's great, and Jen will love that. But wouldn't it be so much more... It kind of means so much more to her. If I was to say, Jen, I, I love you. I might want to make her a card or to her face and say, I love you. You are so kind. You are so compassionate. The way that you, you look after our son, the way that you, that you are so passionate in the work that you do, the fact that you sent me six donuts this week to work, which really happens. That, you, know, you really love me and I, and I felt so blessed. Thank you so much. I love you. It's not that the card was wrong. It was great. It really helped me to, to, to give a direction to my worship. But doing it in my own words, that's so much more valuable. These, these spiritual songs is what God wants to get to birth within us this morning. He wants to birth that in us this morning. But the surprise, here it comes, is that we don't just do vertical worship. God, yes, he is the focus of our worship, but, but we can also worship on a horizontal level. We can sing horizontally, and both pas- passages, they speak about this. They say, sing to each other psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. But, but what does that look like? What does it look like in practice? Well, when we're singing to, about God to each other, we're doing so to encourage one another. Take the song, I Come to the Altar, as an example. The opening lines are, Are you hurting and broken within? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Do you see the direction there? It's as if you're singing to the person right next to you in your pew. We're saying, are you hurting? Are you broken this morning? Jesus is calling you. Do you need forgiveness? Jesus is calling you. We're singing to encourage one another. Another example is Good Grace, a song which we introduced at the weekend away a few months ago. It says, don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth, that God is madly in love with you. Take courage. Hold on. Be strong. And remember where our help comes from. Again, it's that horizontal level. It's encouraging each other. Hold your head up. Don't fear Remember that word again, letting Christ's word dwell in us richly. And I wonder when we, when we come to the family worship moment of our service right at the beginning, I wonder if some of us, they think, you know, that's, that's not for me. That's for the kids. But I want to encourage you, 
It is, because what we're doing in that moment is we're encouraging our children, we're encouraging each other to, to experience joy within our worship. We are modeling to our children what it looks like to worship Jesus. Yes, the package is different, but the words are the same. The heart is the same. It's to God, for God. That time is for everyone. That's why it's called family worship, the family of believers. We do that together. We need both directions within our song worship, both the vertical and the horizontal. And I just wonder if the band would like to come and join me. And I wonder this morning if the question we need to ask ourselves is, where is our heart this morning? What's our posture when it comes to sung worship? Maybe you, you, you struggle to sing those vertical songs, those songs about God to God because of a past hurt, because of some current circumstantial situation. Or maybe, I don't know if this is a word for someone, but when I mentioned good, good father, maybe some of us struggle to sing that word because we've had a bad experience with our earthly father. And, and picturing God as father is difficult. Maybe we approach worship and we think, this is the time to get my fix. It's my time with God. And the thought of singing horizontally to encourage one another, well, they're just getting in the way of my time. This is my moment in my week. I've had the kids have been screaming. I've lost my job. This is my moment. I don't want to encourage each other in singing. Or, or maybe we just love worship so much. We love that personal moment so much that actually we turn it all about ourselves. I want God to do something for me. This is my moment. Maybe we think we can't just jump straight in. When the band plays, we've got to give it a few songs to warm up. Well, I need to feel the fuzzies before I can really do business with God. What is your heart posture this morning? Is it open to God to sing his praises? Is it open and receptive to the Spirit being, it's being filled by the Spirit and let it fuel our songs? Is it closed because there's just some struggle within that we need to take to Jesus? Maybe your heart is closed because you just struggle to actually articulate what it is you want to say to God. Maybe you think, you know, singing Jesus, I love you is just difficult. It's too emotive. It's, it, it may even feel romantic and that's weird. But what is the song that God has put on your heart and on your lips this morning? You know, it can feel weird to step out, but I encourage you. We're all singing to encourage each other and to praise our God. What's the song of thanksgiving, of love, of freedom that God has put on your heart and your lips this morning? And if any of those, you'll have to excuse the pun, if any of those strike a chord with you, we'd love to pray for you. We would love for God to come and soften our hearts. We all need that. If you recognize that, yes, I need to, Come before God this morning and say, Lord, change my heart. Let your word dwell in me. I want to be filled with the Spirit. If that's you, why don't you come? Let's all stand. Let's all stand. But if that's you, why don't you just come forward now? If you're just saying, yep, this morning I need my heart to be softened.